Hello everyone, welcome to the Skeptically Inclined Science Podcast. We're on episode 54. I'm your host Evan. And my name is Tom and it's actually episode 53. <laughs> let's, let's keep this going. My prayer, I'm that, I, it's not with it today. Oh, hi everyone, we're actually on episode 53. I'm uh, okay. getting ahead of myself. Um, again, yeah. welcome to the episode. Hope it's not throwing you too much, my uh, projected into the future. Um, as I said, I'm Evan. And I'm Tom. And yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's episode 53. <laughs> that's it. God, it's going to be one of those episodes, guys. Um, so yeah, t- on today's, I hope, <laughs> I hope you're having a great day wherever you're listening to. We'll have a really good episode uh, lined up. Um, what, what, are you, what, are, what are you going to tantalize the audience with to promote this exciting episode, Tom? throwback to episode 11 when we discussed the um, three parents baby with the mitochondrial um, transfer yeah and then if we have time we can talk about the human pan genome being released yeah so call back to um three three parent baby and uh new news that it's been what being it's been it's happened in the uk so it it had yeah so actually it came out with the news that uh at least like five of these things of these events has happened, but not much, de- not much detail has been shared, but we can uh, discuss it later mm, in, yeah. in more detail. Yeah. So and, and you? Uh, and for me, I'm going to do, um, does gene editing hold the key to improving mental health? So um, we, 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 there's all this talk about eating healthy or uh, going to see uh, counseling like no let's just go straight into gene editing that's the sol- that's going to solve all our mental health issues um, I'm sure you can agree as a, a genetic geneticist Tom if it doesn't I'm out of work so <laughs> you need to pivot into that area yeah I'm, I would be definitely biased but in fairness it. it's not it's not a crazy like there is a mental health crisis right now so can I just tell you something? Yeah. Can I just tell you something? Oh. Right, straight off. Uh, and then we don't have to discuss it until we get into your topic, okay? Okay. But like, I've been hanging out uh, recently up to a certain point with like people who are like so obsessed about putting everything in terms of science and logic and, you know, logos and all that, that everything has a even scientific explanation. or Everything has a label, say, is it? E- no, it's just like everything is grounded in science and there is nothing okay. nothing outside of science. Yeah. And I just feel like, no, there is like a spirituality now. I just feel like I have to go against it. So I, in terms of mental health, I think uh, it's actually uh, therapies do help and it's all about looking inside yourself and finding your spirit oh, okay. and, right, and right, grounding right. yourself. So that you're way, going you know? against the, your main it's core just, beliefs. I can't, yeah. I just been. I just feel like I've been suffocated by these, uh, you know, like mili- militantly pro pro science, pro logic views, <laughs> and I just don't like that. So I have to go. Okay, again. so I have to convince you yeah, that may- yeah. maybe a pill. Or sorry, what am I saying? Pill counseling. Maybe you need more. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I think it should be good. Um, yeah, so before we get into the news, before we get into the uh my main story is how are you getting mm-hmm. on tom you're you're Grant. a month, month closer to nearly finishing your phd month and a half yeah you're very kind of reminding a month uh, and a half. reminding me about my deadline yeah. every time we speak <laughs> uh, it, it's going well i have 
today I finished the discussion for my last research chapter. So I will be sending it for feedback tomorrow. And so far is 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 doing is going well. Like every now and then you you feel a little bit anxious about these things because yeah, it is a big deal at the end of the day, but uh much more relaxed than I would have anticipated. Uh, than I go. had it anticipated. You have, no? it, you have it all under control, Tom. <laughs> until <laughs> until I panic so bad that I have nothing under control. Yeah. yeah. And uh, how are you getting on? Yeah, good. Um, I'm doing my preparation for this um, four day four days walking festival Via Dagsa. Via um, yeah. So I finally, I think I hit a twenty kilometer nearly hit a 20 kilometer uh, uh, milestone in my walking so i'm pretty happy with that actually how did that make you feel um it was uh, well like it was yeah it felt me make made me feel happy because i'm like okay uh, maybe i can hand do this and as well like it was a hilly terrain we've discussed yeah. so in netherlands is pretty flat so gives me a bit more hope that i can still actually <laughs> do this um, like the pictures you were sending were so class. I couldn't believe they were taken. Yeah, yeah. Like you were, because you thought the pictures I was sending were from Sligo, which does have yeah. great scenery. But um, that was just like near, and that that was in Dublin, actually, South Dublin, near the Wicklow border. Um, or oh, even near, just near the. Ne- yeah, it was actually border. in okay. Dublin. Like it's crazy okay. that you, and then the views you can get up there of the whole city, like it's it's amazing. It's, it's kind of like, isn't it? It's kind of like the Dublin. The, it's the Dublin mountains, really. It's okay. all part of that. So, um, whenever you get back, yeah, uh, we, we must go. we must have to do it again. And it's, like, it was the first time I ever when I went up there. It was going up. It, the weather was so bad. It was lashing rain. I was like, oh, this is awful. <laughs> And then when I came, was coming back down, it was the first time I ever seen the clouds part and you could actually see the sun come through. It was like, wow, oh, it's amazing. That is amazing. It's, it's so... Oh, we're totally going to do it when I come over. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like, it's never, I've never seen like, you know, that's the clouds part. And I was like, wow, that actually are like, because usually when it's that bad, you're like, oh, it's never going to improve the weather. It's, it's yeah, like that yeah. forever. But actually forever yeah it's like that for while you're up there but actually it it just shows how quickly it can change that the things can part the clouds actually it could go the other way as well so um did you pretend that you're moses when the clouds were parting? <laughs> yeah that was me <laughs> deciding this um okay cool so yeah, one, one one of the good things from the walking is that you do get to see like yeah. loads of scenery if you pick your if you pick your walking yeah Oops. yeah right get the scenery in now because there's nothing to see over in netherlands is it <laughs> that's that's very rough thing to say i think there's shout out to all to our say. dutch fr- fans <laughs> <laughs> that's just so mean just like. flat farmland <laughs> at uh, cities. Well, and uh well a nice beer yeah there you go and much safer uh biking uh, uh cycling lines there, yeah, than yeah. oh yeah they yeah. have live a lot more <laughs> and uh, you don't have to li- you don't have to give them a excuse. livable wage out of phd <laughs> <laughs> yeah but like what else yeah mountains <laughs> <laughs> yeah mountains yeah yeah scenery um show me your dame yeah <laughs> yeah canals like just overrated um yeah, there are two in dublin okay go on keep going <laughs> yeah yeah no that's uh, so that's kind of it and we're again we're organizing our point of science so mm-hmm. um 
I think this episode won't be out till after the Pine of Science events. So hopefully you got to check out some local ones nearby where you are. Um, yeah, great. So look up the Point of Science in Neymahen and in Dublin. In Dublin, yeah, and in yeah. anywhere in Ireland or in I'm sure a lot of cities in the Netherlands as well, and yeah. just anywhere you are. Um, I would say check it out, but it's going to be over by the time you hear this. So um, it's a, but it's a great initiative. Get people passionate in scientists science. I think that's the whole point of our podcast to get people who might have the huge background in science to listen to science and break it down. So I think that's why it's really good to have these initiatives out there. So yeah, let's get involved. Come out see see how it is. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, that's our update, uh, and then we we'll, might as well jump into the headlines, mm-hmm. the news. So um, you're ready? We're ready, yeah. I want to hear, lay, lay it on <laughs> me, this three, the updates. Uh, what are, well, give us the whole story of the yeah. three-person <clears throat> baby. So, three last person week. baby? Is that the right word? Three-parent baby. Three-parent baby, yeah. Uh, three-parent baby. So last week, significant... Last week, significant news emerged in the field of science regarding the birth of a child through mitochondrial replacement therapy. Um, The British fertility regulator, um, the Human Fertilization and Embryology Authority, disclosed that at least one child has been born using this technique. Uh, The mitochondrial replacement therapy is a procedure that is subjected to governmental regulation and received official approval from UK government in 2015. So the first, uh, m- the first magazine that broke this news was Guardian, mm-hmm. uh, because one of my favorite. <laughs> the the Guardian. Are you co- are you being converted to the Guardian? Or are you still? No, I'm still. <laughs> they still annoy me. As not in Australian okay. department. I can't handle them. But they did break. The, they were the first one to break the news. Yeah. Uh, they approached the doctors at the Newcastle Fertility Centre. Uh, which is the only clinic in the UK that is authorized to perform this procedure. So the doctors at the clinic, in order to uphold patient confidentiality, uh, they didn't really name named any names or you know gave any specific details about it. But it was confirmed that a few babies have been born in the UK uh, using this MRT technology. They say less than five, and the first approved case of the MRT the mitochondrial replacement therapy at Newcastle was in 2018. And uh, since 2015, which was the date when the UK government granted the authority um, to, to, co- to conduct these procedures. So since 2015, um, 32 patients have been approved to undergo this procedure. But then again, you don't know. Uh, it's almost certain that not all 32 patients have uh, actually gone through it. Yeah, yeah. They were only they, they they were granted to do so if they wish. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. But for now, we know there was only uh, five, uh, less than five, and obviously one of those birds happened quite recently. That's why this uh, okay. story has broke out. So we all so the we, science. So we only know mm-hmm. that one of them was born, but there potentially could be more. There potentially could be more. There is a uh, the the so the. The publication that outlines this whole process has already been submitted by the Newcastle oh, yeah. scientific staff. Uh, it's we don't know what journal it is submitted to, but it's going at the moment is going through a scientific peer review. So hopefully in the next few uh, weeks, well, hopefully not months, they be they be probably very happy to share this with the mm. uh, entire scientific community. I think everyone will be and see how it goes. To hear, yeah. So. 
just to, a little bit longer about this uh, three parents baby thing. We already mentioned it that we've talked about this in episode 11. And this is where we mentioned that actually the first the first actual baby that was born using this technique took place in 2016. So only a year after the UK uh, mm. government approved their uh, clinic. But that baby born in 2016 was a, a child of Jordanian parents. Um, and the whole procedure took place in Mexico. It was run by the US scientist, but it took in place in Mexico because of the uh, regulations that were like, not really existing there. Yeah, yeah. And moreover, there have been successful cases of children being born after mitochondrial transfer done in Greece and Ukraine. And Australia joined as the second country to approve mitochondrial therapy last year. However, it is important to note that the procedure is still limited in many countries. And, you know, that would include the United it's States, not, for yeah, example. It's still not approved in the US, so. Yeah. So if you really want to listen to how this whole process uh, happens, you can just revisit episode 11. I don't really feel like there is a need yeah. to, to go into that. Go back to um, our uh, retro, yeah. retro episodes. But I think the one thing that we didn't mention was this, uh, and I think I found it very interesting here, is this uh, event known as uh, reversal. And I think you've read about this as well. So. Um, it, uh, so a trial conducted in Greece involved 24, 25 couples undergoing the MRT for infertility treatment, uh, and it provided the evidence of reversal. And one of the six children, uh, one of the six children born, five had a mitochondrial DNA that predominantly came from the donor in various sample tissues, such as blood and um umbilical cord. However, one child had significantly higher levels of mitochondrial mitochondria inherited from the mother accounting for 30 to 60 percent of the total mitochondria so this is this event this so-called yeah, so reversal think, when you think it, so what basically it, the way it happens is that when um when they so when they have to remove the donor's nucleus and insert the mother's nucleus into the egg of the donor so that she doesn't bring you don't have the mitochondria of the um the mother you have the mitochondria of the donor so you have your mitochondria of the donor then the nucleus uh and then that fertilizes of the mother and then that fertilizes with the the father's sperm um but when you're transferring the nucleus of the mother there is a chance you can bring over the mitochondria that is damaged um and then as as it does once the if the child grows up there's always a chance that they'll have the mitochondria that's diseased and then as they get older the chance of the them have been affected by the mitochondrial disease gets higher as they get older because you're going to get more copies of this uh, mitochondrial diseased um, yeah. copy. So um, that's the risk with doing this um, procedure. That th it's not risk free, um, but that's the, but the it works. Limit. When it works, it works. Yeah, well, like it's better that than a child that's going to die. Of course, very young, and just so. to. I just wanted to say that the child is symptoms free, even though it's uh, yeah, they have the pathogenic uh, mitochondrial DNA. Yeah, yeah. So that so that's all you wanted to say. Yeah, the child, yeah. but the child is still symptom free of mitochondrial disease. But it's still the I think what the high the the most important thing to highlight is it's still very relatively new, and we still don't know how if they have a high relative load of these defective mitochondria. Um, is it going to have how much of an effect will it have when they get older so we just have to monitor and monitor these children as they get older 
and hopefully yeah. highlight the effects. Hopefully, if there's an issue, that they can uh, improve the technique. But it's still great to see that now in the UK there is options for people who ha- suffer from this. Um, and it, it and like it is pretty important because, like as you said, it happened in Mexico, so it's almost like it was illegal. Like just trying to get basic, not basic. It but just like, has a bad bad taste to it right if you say yeah. like well we have to go to it's the like country secret. that maybe has a yeah like a it makes it taboo and it shouldn't be yeah if yeah. it if you can properly regulate it it's fine yeah yeah so and, um you know yeah so it's great to it's great to see it's happening and and uh i just hope everything will will go okay for these for these children parents and, the, and the, the babies yeah, yeah. yeah yeah and um yeah just to mention this also it's great that they want to release papers about it so yeah and we'll, we'll, we'll just learn add more yeah we can improve the technique so it's a pretty cool it's a pretty cool technique really uh interesting to ha- see how they worked on it so yeah if you want to learn more definitely check out episode 14 11 11 <laughs> 11 <laughs> check out episode okay. 11 so uh it's crazy to think we started this podcast back when covid was rampant Every episode was about COVID, COVID, COVID. Could we do anything else? That's what people yes. were saying. We need something fresh new. Well, it, this could be potentially the last episode. I don't think it will be, but it could potentially be. You never know. Um, because COVID is no longer a global health emergency. Who could have thought that? I, I'd love <laughs> to listen back to our old episodes and and uh, how hopeless things seemed at the time and we're like when is the when is this going to end when is the light at the end of the tunnel and then it just you remember it, wow and and it just like uh it just gets announced with very little fanfare no one really went oh wow it's like it's over like everyone's just like on, has got on with their lives now so um it's amazing how it's shifted so much since, yeah. since the start but i suppose that it's just been, don't like, care yeah yeah well like it's like people were like well duh yeah obviously I, like i haven't i haven't heard about it but yeah so there the, were people who were saying that you will never shake hands again yeah and i and i remember when people were like oh are you still gonna wear a mask when uh you're sick and there were people like yeah i'm gonna wear a mask and i was like i've <laughs> never really seen anyone wear masks since not, not to say that it, not to say it doesn't happen but like i i very rarely see it so think that whole thing is not gonna happen um like i think the whole mass thing is just been dried out so um yeah but yeah so the world health organization it's declared that covid19 is no longer a global health emergency while emphasizing it remains a global health threat so on the 30th of january 2020 so it was uh what's that three and a half years ago now it, the World Health Organization declared a public health emergency of an international concern over the global outbreak of COVID-19. And since then, 7 million deaths have been reported to the organization. Um, but sure, as people, some people would argue, that's who cares, like, isn't that it? Um, but the, as the World Health Organization Director General uh, has said that the true debt is almost at least 20 million and warred countries to be remain vil- vigilant. Speaking on a media brief- briefing, he said, um, on the 5th of May, the virus is here to stay. It is still killing and it's still changing. The risk remains of new variants emerging that cause new surges in cases and deaths. So I think we've been hearing this on loop 
for a long time new variants i don't think it's a victory <laughs> well, i really don't think well, it's a victory well, well yeah well let's well, i'll just read the rest of the okay so he said the worst thing any country could do now is to use this news as a reason to let down its guard to dismantle the systems it has built or to send the message to its people that covid19 is nothing to worry about <laughs> isn't that hilarious um <laughs> Yeah, it made the decision after analysing the de- decreasing trend in COVID-19 deaths, the decline in related hospital admissions and intensive care admissions and the high levels of population immunity to SARS-CoV-2. And they determined that COVID-19 should now, now be considered an established and ongoing health matter with no longer, which no longer constitutes a public health emergency of international concern. So the UN organisation has said that countries should transition from emergency mode to long-term management of COVID-19 alongside other infectious diseases and it's setting up a review to develop long-term recommendations for countries on how to manage the virus on an ongoing basis and uh, it's also published uh, its fourth edition of global strategic preparedness and response plan for COVID-19 which cares for which covers collaborative surveillance, community protection, safe and scalable care, access to countermeasures and emergency coordination. So they're saying we need to shift to long-term monitoring and um, what do you think of it all? <laughs> I mean, the way the way they sold it, sold the message, it's uh, like, it's not a reason to celebrate. Mm. It's... Yeah, that's just what you said. We moving from the emergency mode into like long-term planning and predicting and yeah, like we didn't win. It's like, you know, when like old medieval castle or forts go under siege. Yeah. And like the siege lasts forever. And then at some point the army just, all right, we go back home, like the siege ends. And like, that doesn't mean you won. Like there's like <laughs> loads of dead die. people. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. Um, I suppose, like, and like, and ultimately, it wasn't really. I suppose the vaccines helped, but like, ultimately, it was just because people were just sick of hiding or like waiting for it out. They're like, I'm just going back to normal. And I think that was that was what happened. This people wanted to go back to normal, so they would didn't really care about following public. And, and I they think even it, feel and, and the governments as well. They had to like they just decided look we need to reopen we need to get people back into offices we need to get people back to schools um, oh there was no way like you you could like you couldn't make a good decision like there was yeah you yeah. would always you would always take an L on, on something because it was always everyone had their own ideas about how things should have happened yeah yeah so and then, um, yeah it's just um it is kind of sad I don't know that's sad but it's like um it's interesting to see that it's kind of gone out like a whimper this um this, this how this this pandemic basically and uh uh and i, I think and i think it, people got over it way too quickly whereas like we should have yeah reflect and be like we need to do better for our public health we need to do better for like being prepared for the next pandemic but we need to know how to prevent it and i just think nothing has really been learned we still are so vulnerable to the next one public health has been so underfunded and it's like you would think now people are like okay we should reinvest in it now people are even further away from that than they were at the <laughs> beginning of it so it's just um disappointing um 
and like and I, I think people have become so desensitized as well to all this like oh long-term monitoring uh response plans and if people are like oh i don't care anymore i'm just i'm sick of it all and it's like yeah they were they were only in for the conspiracy right yeah 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 so See, that's what you mean like you don't know anything about science like as soon as the exciting news go away and you start hearing about yeah, this, you know, epidemiological studies and you just, oh, we're not interested in this, like, because yeah. there's no, there's no cloud to it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's so much that needs to be improved. So much needs to be learned. And I don't think we have done that. So it's just, it's kind of like, it, it makes me uneasy a little bit the how how much has just been brushed away so i'm just like uh what's what what what's 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 down the line like what what are we what are we potentially what what have we not learned and it's just really sad so i'll tell yeah. you what we'll find out when the next thing happened and we're not and we're not gonna be ready for it and that's when you find out what we were not uh what we didn't learn mm. from the last event that's when uh <laughs> I, yeah, I'll just, we just need like, what, 10 years of uninterrupted peace and tranquility? God, that was pre-2016, pre and then after, then after that. I just need 10 years to settle down, get house going or something, and then once I have a house and stuff, every, the world can crumble, but like, I'll be settled down, and that's, I that's the care. most important thing. Yeah, that's all that matters. Yes. Um, get my weekly shopping in Lidl. I want to get to that. I want to get to that stage. Where but I go look at toilet car. paper when uh, when it's when it's all gone again. <laughs> Make sure you stock up on that. <laughs> yeah, and then after ten years, shit can hit the fun again. <laughs> and you'll have your toilet paper, so it's fine. I have my toilet paper. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So that was that. And then if you want to, no, just... but I feel you. Very. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just sad. All that hype, all that build up for nothing. Because I yeah. think I think everyone as well at the time we're like, okay, there's going to be this one point where it's like it's over, and it's like no, that's not how it works. It keeps it keeps going and dragging and dragging. There's no. It's just be, there's no just end what to you it. Said. Like so many people have checked out a year ago, a yeah. year and a half ago. That like announcing it now that the emergency is over, it doesn't. And they just like, people have already celebrated their yeah, end yeah. of their pandemic, like you know, like this. And they they don't care about what holding governments to get them prepared for the next one. They're just like, I don't care anymore. No. So it's just the apathy about about everything. Do you think they'll ever will they do um, a COVID remembrance day, or is it just going to be too? too controversial COVID remembrance day i don't know like a cobra like with it's that- too inflammatory <laughs> you're gonna get a bunch of right-wing boys coming in like um, I, it's too no no it's national holiday an international holiday we did it we got over covid covid remembrance day <laughs> i don't know something <laughs> spicier than that i don't know you're just looking for another bank holiday is it <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah. You celebrate anything just to get a day off work, <laughs> preferably on Friday. Yeah, preferably on Friday, please. Um, oh, okay, anyways, do you want to quickly go over um, your the pan genome um, before uh, I go to my main story? What? Uh, okay, so another throwback to. Do you want to guess the episode we talked <laughs> no, about? The- I am not going <laughs> to guess. <laughs> so a throwback to episode thirty-eight, where we uh, talked about 
human genome being finally properly properly sequenced okay yeah i remember and also in the spirit of talking about sequences we also did episode 30 when we talked about when we talked about sequencing babies in uk so but today we're gonna focus exclusively on the human pan genome sequence and understand and we're gonna try to understand why the what is the human pan genome and how is it different from the previously sequenced human genome so the the, the database or the reference that scientists are using currently is primarily based on a single individual genome of which about 70 per, and 70% of its data came from a single man of predominantly African European background whose DNA was sequenced during the human genome project. So that in itself mm. gives you uh, an indication how limited it is. Do you know, is that, was that, a, he was ethically, how did they choose that guy? You don't know for that human genome. I don't know that. I don't mm. know. Oh, I don't think it was as bad as the hella cells. Yeah, that's because uh. <laughs> I just heard African and I was like, oh god, that does. I, is that a, was that legal? <laughs> African European background. Well, I was just. The, I always assume like, oh, if it's African, they're definitely exploiting them. So maybe that's. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, that happened in like early two thousands. You know, it's it's okay. Nineties. Like, it's I'd okay. Say. Anyways. <laughs> um. So okay, so that's the human genome. So the human the human reference genome that we had was based on this um, very limited stream of DNA coming from like this uh, African European uh, individual. So it was definitely not representative. Uh, you know, even be, it was actually, if you want to think about it, it was only representative for African American African European male. Yeah, not even a female, you know. Yeah. So a pan genome, it's much much more. The pan genome idea is to be much more inclusive, and um, and having more representatives included in what we understand as a human genome. But like, why um, why is that important? Because now, by utilizing pan genome references, the researchers can explore types of genetic variation that were previously challenging to examine. For example, the pangenome references can capture long chunks of duplicated, lost, or rearranged DNA that may be unique to specific individuals or populations. This expanded scope enables the study of previously unexplored variants and their potential and their potential impact on traits, disease, and evolutionary processes. So it literally touches every aspect of, of science. The the therapeutic, the you know, the med medical science as you wish, the more evolutionary approach where you want to study where do we come from and the more kind of fundamental understanding of how do we function as individuals and as populations, which I think is pretty cool how much you can take from it. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose the so, important thing to know as well is that like it's not that the the reference previously is like and they, these new pan genomes are like massively different. It's like still within like one percent, yeah, differences. But like this is they, this is what makes us who we are. So to have way more accurate reference sequences um, mm -hmm. is super important for studying diseases, anyways. Like and and uh, traits, and just to understand understand the world uh, better. Yeah. So if you just, if you can just, uh, just the last bit, just so you know, um, where these, uh, these additional genomes are sourced from. So the construction of the human pan genome involved, the uh, involved generation of 94 genome assemblies derived from 47 individuals from diverse ancest 
ancestries from different parts of the world. These genome assemblies were created using a combination of advanced sequencing technologies, including long-read sequences, sequencing. The resulting assembled genomes are highly accurate and nearly complete, providing more comprehensive view of human genetic variations compared to the draft human reference uh, compared to the human reference mm. genome draft. Mm. And in total, the pan genome includes 119 million base pairs of sequence that were not present in the original reference, oh, wow. and that's still five uh, percent within the five percent difference between what it was before. Like you know, yeah. so that's crazy. That's how big uh, the genome is. Uh, the additional sequence represents novel genetic information that was previously missing from our understanding of the human genome. And I, I'm pretty sure in episode 38, we mentioned this um, apocentric chromosome. So these are the chromosomes that have a very short upper uh, arm, the petite arm. So these are always very troublesome to sequence because of the rep rep repeated sequences that are present there. But again, uh, when we, we kind of tackle them with this human pangenome project, so they are even sequenced into yeah. much more detail than they were previously. So overall, very great work. There is actually four four separate papers coming out from this single study. Um, I think they all are in nature. I would think so. You can look them up. And there's a lot of uh, very well written kind of a scientific overview and little summaries about these papers if you want to if you want to know a little bit more mm. but it's all heading in the right direction towards yeah. kind of inclusivity and being represented and being unique yeah yeah and it's great to like know now because i know back in the back not that long ago we'd have a lot of junk dna they'd call it but so it was hard to know what this mean but like now we know that's not the right term to use so it's good to like be able to study these areas. No, when, when people use junk DNA, I get very offended. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's my trigger. Word. And I think as well, it's a sign like, we're how who who knows like the end of this decade where we're going to be, what's the technology is going to be for sequencing whole genome sequencing, and uh, like how how much is going to be used everywhere. Um, it's you, hard to predict, right? Where's the where's the ceiling now? that's what you think, think like because you're like oh now they have the whole genome done and they're like now in 10 years time they're like oh no but they are actually missing this area and this area now we have actually the whole so but there is a, there is a difference between knowing what you don't know and don't knowing what you don't know oh yeah yeah but you i know? suppose but they, did they know back when they did the original human genome that they had missed a lot of areas i think they were aware of some places that were troubled that yeah. were difficult to sequence so they were aware of that but uh, i'm sure they did that seems like that sounds to me like a silly way of thinking but you would assume that there were like ethnical differences in dna between you know mm. like hugely separated populations so i think that even then the scientists would know that if we would have sequenced a dna from another other population we might have we might got like Again, 95, 99% the same stuff, but there, there have to be differences or things that we are missing because. Mm. But of I suppose the at the time they didn't know. There was still so much they only found out when they did it. So. It was not even 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, they have to. Okay. No, maybe, I'm just um, saying, like, I know at the time. I yeah. remember that was a. They, they thought that when they sequenced the human genome, that they'd have. We'd have so much more coding 
genomes or genes than any other organism but it actually turned out we didn't and they only found that out afterwards so like i'm just saying that was one theory one thing so to say um or they should have known that there'd be a big differences i'd say they obviously like if they didn't know the gene thing who knows they mightn't have just been like oh i'm sure the differences are so minute that maybe it's better to have something expecting too much from them god you're like (laughs) judging these people You've changed. I'm the first one to cast cast the stone these days. <laughs> you're you're the you're you've become the cancel culture. Whoa. I've become what I hated. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's great positive, and yeah, I, I, as you said, I really it's curious what the ceiling's going to be and where, how is this going to ha- impact people on the street, like everyday people? It's 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 fascinating, really. Um, but but uh, and it's going to lead to a lot of debates and uh open questions but something we- that i'm looking forward to because these debates are always <laughs> interesting especially if you get like polarizing people yeah well to we, we've as you mentioned we did discuss the um sequencing children at birth um check that out as we debated that so like this is again th- th- this potentially could lead to this down the track so yeah it's something but that i can only see it, i can only see the human human pangenome as a positive thing. oh yeah yeah in fairness um that's it's you nothing know? to do with it that that itself is nothing to do with sequencing children or anything that, yeah, that's yeah, just yeah. A, a tool that's available for people so i think it's just a it's just a very pure very pure example of like science taking the step in the right direction yeah like there's nothing wrong that happened there from what i have read about yeah it. like this is just a positive, positive. thing that ha- happened yeah Okay, so that's me, Evan. Perfect. Thanks for that's that. Big, big to knee news from last week. Yeah, yeah, that's it's really interesting. Some really big scientific stories um, that happened this and month. And both positive. Did you ever notice that when you bring scientific <laughs> news, it's always a downer? And I'm literally well, no, talking it, about it a, a gift g- of life and I know, inclusivity. Yeah. I I would. <laughs> Why don't pain. you tell us about a new virus that is killing people somewhere? <laughs> well, I, it's a good thing that the it's not a an international concern anymore covid i'm just saying what are what are the implications of that <laughs> <laughs> i think um, i'm gonna get you a t-shirt one day and it's gonna say what are the implications because of the implication isn't that it because of the implications <laughs> main story evan what do you have what have you prepared for me today okay so um uh as i mentioned in the intro um we are kind of going through kind of a mental health crisis with covid um more people are stressed than ever and more people are getting diagnosed with mental health disorders than ever as well so we all talk about um what options are available for people medications um, meditation therapy uh reflection all that stuff and I'm like, boom, I, I'm just going like <laughs> way over that <laughs> into the You're... world of fantasy realm for now. But it's still, as as like, as we just discussed the reference pan genome, like this could, like, it's not that far away if they can do that. Um, so what am I on about? So gene editing to treat mental health. It's the natural uh, progression. <laughs> it's that sounds something like not to belittle it, but it sounds something that like would have happened in rick and morty like there is like this problem that have a, a reasonable solution and then you know, you know what we're gonna it. do 
Wie wir sagen, Gene Editing yeah, to fix yeah. it. Yeah. So, um, so but I suppose maybe in this, well, I'll give you the example. So, although sometimes a difficult childhood can make people more resilient, it's shown that early life trauma is the strongest risk factor for a range of psychiatric conditions, most particularly depression and anxiety. And one of the biggest studies to assert this was a 2010 paper that included data on more than 50,000 adults from across 21 countries and it found that almost all kinds of childhood trauma from parent dying to substance abuse in the family were significantly associated with mental health in adulthood remarkably okay. the analysis suggested that if we somehow got rid of almost all childhood adversity we would see a reduction in mental health diagnosis by almost a third so what is the underlying causes that is causing these long-term effects on the health of individuals with mental health problems. Researchers believe that early life adversity is leading to this epigenetic modifications, which is why childhood trauma stays with us for the rest of our life and can pass through us to the next generation. Um, as mm -hmm. So epigenetics, um, what is it? So as we know, gene expression, it refers to how or how often or when proteins are created from the instructions within your genes. So as we know, we have DNA that gets transcribed into um, mRNA and that gets transcribed into proteins and your translated. genes... Translated. Translated, yeah. Translated into proteins. So that's um, that's the fundamental for life. Um, so, uh, but it's the important thing is it's not just about your genes, how they... Um, transcribe their the genes that to make protein it's also about um if they get switched on or not that's the that's the this delay term like mm -hmm. the, 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 the we all have the potential to have these genes switched on but at certain points in your life um if it's not relevant important anymore these genes get switched off so as i said while genetic changes can alter which protein is made epigenetic changes can affect gene expression to turn genes on and off since your environment and behavior such as diet and exercise can result in epigenetic changes it is easy to see the connection between your genes and your behaviors and your environment so it's kind of like nurture versus nature it's how your environment can influence you to uh, maybe adapt to a stressful environment it'll switch on these mm -hmm. genes that help you survive in, in these ways but then as uh as I've mentioned, childhood trauma then can can impact you in the rest, for the rest of your life because of these what what's happened. These epigenetic markers get imprinted on you and it just stays with you together forever. Yeah, yeah or yeah. very long time. Yeah, yeah. So it's um it's an interesting way to think about. It's a very scientific way of thinking about childhood trauma and um it's a, it's an interesting way to see like oh maybe we can we can use genetic editing um maybe in common I, i i'd say definitely in combination with with counseling and all that stuff to and all that stuff uh to to help these people because um maybe maybe it is a genetic there's a genetic disease element to it that that's not can't be solved simply by just talking or taking medications that gives you a dopamine hit or serotonin or etc et okay so for now you're talking a lot about epigenetics <laughs> so i just wonder how this uh, genetic treatment will okay work okay so maybe um uh 
so what let me just explain how does um epigenetic changes affect gene expression okay so epigenetic changes they include dna methylation your histone modification and then non-coding rna so dna methylation dna methylation is just a way of um adding a methyl group to your dna and then it this basically blocks the protein that attaches the DNA to read the gene. So this basically switches off the gene. Um, so this is one. This is like a really important one um, mm-hmm. uh, in epigenetic changes. Histone modification. So your DNA wraps around proteins called histones, and when these are tightly packed together, the proteins that read the gene they can't be accessed by. Um, they can't access the DNA easy, so the gene is basically switched off. So you need to have these histones kind of packed loosely, so the more DNA is exposed, and then the proteins can more re- more readily access the gene. Um, and basically, these there's chemical groups that can be added to the histones that make them more tight or more loose, mm-hmm. and basically switch the genes on and off. And then non-coding RNA, um, this is kind of like this realm of... Uh, like non-coding RNA is involved in everything and anything. Um, it's still very much unknown, an unknown quantity. I'm sure there's a lot of work done, but it's still kind of like what, what how important is it in certain things and mm-hmm. diseases? So um, your DNA is used as instructions for making coding and non-coding RNA. So coding RNA is the one we use to, as I mentioned, mRNA to make proteins. Non-coding helps control gene expression by attaching to coding RNA along with certain proteins, to break down the coding RNA so that it cannot be used to make proteins. That's the siRNA, is it? Yeah, exactly, yeah. So basically, you've, you've, this is basically your whole PhD involved in <laughs> mRNA and stuff. So it's basically, it stops this mRNA getting transcri- translated into uh, into proteins. So that's, that's how it works. Mm-hmm. So there's three main real ways of epigenetic... Um, modifications that's how it works um and then in, it's important to know that this epigenetic modifications it plays a really important role with cancer and um, with cancer cells characterized by this um this epigenetic reorganization of the dna specifically in the um hypermethylation in these they're called cpg specific areas of tumor suppressor genes so these uh, genes that are important for like suppressing tumors they get hypermethylated so you can't they're not being expressed and that's how the cancer cell evolves to get out of um uh it's the so it can it can proliferate and spread and etc cetera, etc cetera. and as well as yeah. that altered cancer metabolism and the production of these metabolites oncometabolites um they help influence the epigenome epigenome and contribute to the help the malignant phenotype of cancer cells so um and all of these alterations are used by cancer cells to develop Resistance to immune surveillance and chemotherapy. So, so the cancer does everything to survive. Yeah, yeah. So w- why has gene editing now been able to be used? So why has gene editing now been able to be used to modify epigenetic changes? So before, targeted manipulation of chromatin in living cells was kind of very difficult. Um, and they had to use um, drugs, pharmacolo- pharmacological uh, inhibition to alter the epigenetic marks but there weren't really target specific and had global effects on the whole genome so because today and now thanks to epigenetic editing is possible to target specifically the effector domains at any given locus making it possible to modify 
these individual chromatin marks at a defined region and chromatin context. Uh, and then it gives you this unprecedented specificity and efficiency um, of modifying these epigenetic manipulations. So can you can you guess what what the specific targeting technique is? Can I is? just clarify something in my head yeah. with you? So you do the editing on... What do you do the editing on? You're doing the editing on these um, mark, markers, as they call it, or um, what's it called? They had a word here. So they call them chromatin marks. So they're marks on the epigenetic uh, changes. So you take off these epigenetic ch changes. So like, for example, this in is cancer... Not, this is not CRISPR modification you're talking about. It is CRISPR. They're, they're able to use CRISPR to edit the chromatin marks so it's not the dna it's the it's the the like so for the methylation it's trying to take off this tag that'll prevent the expression or it's allowing expression so the it's the whole it, methylated nucleotide is being removed is the methyl group happened? is getting removed yeah if okay. for like one example or um as i said for the histone um, some some uh, groups get bound, bound to the histone to make it pack tighter together, which allows the cancer the to evade. Deacetylation and so the deacetylation, yeah. The CRISPR can come in, take mm -hmm. off the mark, and then allow routine or normal... Um, so you already have to target the gene that you suspect are responsible for being involvement in yeah you do, being involved you do in whatever to. yeah but whatever dysfunction yeah you have but you have to be able to target um you have you'd have to be involved in looking at what's the gene expression mm -hmm. what's causing it can i figure out what's causing this gene expression to be changed and then you can go okay why don't we try and target a known epigenetic modification of this gene that stops it being expressed maybe that's what it's using we can target that group okay um, okay, I think ra I understand rather that. than like trying to increase the expression or stop the expression, you just go into the epigenetic change and target that. Um, so as I said, the application of CRISPR, it's called CRISPR DCAS. So it's, I think it's a slight modification on normal CRISCAS. Um, so yeah, uh, it's the application of CRISPR-DCAS in epigenetic editing of cancer cells goes beyond in vitro studies. So it's not just in cells. They've shown that they've been able to use them. Um, novel delivery systems are being created and tested in order to facilitate effective regulation of gene expression by this CRISPR-DCAS. And it has been shown that multi-stage delivery by nanoparticle can achieve tumor-targeted delivery of CRISPR-DCAS systems and it can restore the the microRNA expression in mice and then this stops the tumor growth so it is wow. it has been shown to work that it can help regulate the gene expression um so yeah back to so, so they how, so they regulated the microRNA so that microRNA can suppress the tumor growth yeah yeah exactly and or like um if it's yeah if it's a tumor suppression gene or if it's an oncogene that's being promoted then they can or proto oncogene, like they can suppress it through that, through the, mm -hmm. the modification. So it's a, it's just another tool to try and control okay, cancer. Okay, so I understand so the tool now. Um, so yeah, so how ha does this apply yeah. to the mental health? Yeah. So how, so how does this back to studying gene editing and treating mental health? So how do we study this? As well, I mentioned we need to have in vivo uh, uh, 
experiments or uh, ways of demonstrating how does this work? What what can we do? How can we target these epigenetic modifications? Mm -hmm. So we have to use animal experiments. Um, I know we talked about this last week. You might not be the biggest fan of doing this, (laughs) animal experiments. It's okay. I can talk about this. Um, But in, so in experiments, yeah, researchers, they have to play composers and change the gene expression by exposing animals to stress earlier in their life. So in one study, um, the this researcher, he separated the mouse pups from their mothers for hours every day and found that as a result, several hundred genes had altered expression in a brain area associated with depression. And another method is the social defeat stress protocol, and it involves older, bigger mice that repeatedly asserted their dominance over the smaller mice. And, uh, and it's in a protocol designed to induce depression in mice and and it's again to try and induce these epigenetic modifications and try and study them um and again it affected some more than others and it gave those most people the ones that grew up have a history of early trauma Mm -hmm. um with the the ones who suffer from depression so well how this manifests is kind of similar to what happens in humans when they when they have early trauma you have these you can link it back usually to um, some kind of trauma early in their life. Yeah. And um, when put in an enclosure with an unknown mouse, these ones that had the childhood tra- or the, the trauma early on, they sat in the corner and showed little interest. When presented with the treat of a sugary drink, they hardly seemed to notice. And when put in water, they did not swim. They just lay there drifting about. So oh my God. What, we, what one can see clearly in these mouse and rat models is, is some is that those who are exposed to early life stress do show greater susceptibility to stress later in life. And then, so basically they're like, okay, maybe if we tinker with the epigenome, we can, uh, could essentially give us a way to physically edit out the scars of the past. Um, so, and this appears to be true for humans. The reasons are still unclear, but there's a growing evidence that part of the answer lies in this image genetics processes that modify the function of our genes without changing the genetic code as i mentioned mm-hmm. um and if this thinking holds up it opens the door to radical new treatments so just as it's as i said it's been used from heart diseases to cancer there are those who believe tinkering with it could reverse the damage yeah so the problem is it's very difficult to, to study this in humans because it's kind of immoral to expose children to trauma and researchers need to remove brain tissue to analyze what epigenetic changes have taken place. Um, but there is pro- evidence that if we are able to target these epigenetic modifications, that there is possibility we, there could be a, a way of treating people who have tra- childhood trauma. Um, is, is the hassle of getting there worth it? Well, I always think it's worth it worth fought who knows where it could lead to and uh right, what, where or tell me where are you gonna find those children that you're gonna <laughs> expose to the <laughs> stress that's that's the that's the problem i think so you that's what ha- i mean is it y- is you, it worth even going that way well uh, there it's not that you have to expose them you could just have to find children that have undergone <laughs> trauma early in their life and see if if they'd be willing to undergo this trial to help them like i think that's from your not, beyond the, not beyond the realm of um the the possibilities 
Um, so let me, let me summarize before I go into okay. um, into some examples. So epigenetic editing, it can be regarded as a promising approach for targeted gene therapy that is able to correct disease-associated epi mutations. And it serves as a powerful tool to address fundamental epigenetic questions, for example, related to the cause and consequence of epigenetic marks with respect to gene expression. Nevertheless, achieving high specificity, efficient delivery, and non-immunogenicity represents the most critical challenges that we face for epigenetic editing. So evidence that there is epigenetic um, modification. So there was a study that examined the brains of people who had killed themselves. <laughs> great, great, very great. light. Okay. The authors found epigenetic d- differences on stress-related genes between those who had experienced childhood abuse and individuals who had not. And so how many brains did they analyze? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. But it is good evidence. But in order to find out people's abuse history, the authors had to ask the bereaved relatives, which may not be always reliable. So maybe if we come up, can come up with a, a test as well to maybe be more specific to, to see if they could be more eligible to to use this type of therapy if, if it does ever come available. So um, they... they they, what they look for is epigenetic marks, marks outside the brain, such as saliva or blood. While it's still unclear how well they reflect the changes in the brain, it is the best scientists have, and it does tell a compelling story that the there is epigenetic changes um, in these people, it seems to be, who have the childhood trauma. And as we grow older, we pick up certain tags that, tags that correlate strongly with age, uh, and then we were able to see that um, that that actually the the way that the the trauma has affected the per- person can actually age them older than genetically speaking than people they're the same age but genetically speaking yeah. they are older because of the childhood trauma and then it's actually a useful way of seeing has this person bi- biologically aged quicker or slower um and yeah this 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 one study he they used this first epigenetic clock for children on three to five year olds who had known history of maltreatment and they found a clear pattern maltreated children who showed signs of depression and anxiety were biologically nearly three months older than their peers which is a pretty a lot for people at that age and then the worse their maltreatment the older they were so uh, they already knew that this set of children is maltreated yeah. and the other set. So the goal of that test was just to see if they are genetically more aged compared to the control yeah, group. Yeah, 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 exactly. And it's a could be a useful way to see like how to study trauma as well. Like we could we if um are ch- seeing as a child how much trauma they've undergone, how much biologically aged have they become because of this trauma you, choosing these epigenetic What if stress causes the same thing? Not every uh, stress is a trauma. You need to be able to be more specific. Well, like, what? How? How is stress? What? What stress is in childhood trauma? Like, like sustained stress. I don't know. Like, maybe you are not very good at maths. <laughs> if you were in an, in an, a, a normal or a healthy household, it shouldn't be a, a huge, significant. Um, okay but like everyone everyone experiences stress in their life yeah yeah 
that's true, but um, and I, I assume it, it, no it, one it, is gonna no one is gonna uh, gene edit a child that probably therapy is targeted at uh, at least at adults. Well. I, you, I, I don't know. want my five-year-old to be somehow genetically modified. Well, uh, uh, yeah, true, true. Because like generally, these pe- children, ha- they're obviously if they're undergoing childhood trauma, their parents are going to be the best, so they wouldn't be the ones to recommend this treatment. But um, maybe, yeah. It, but that is the thing. Like maybe there is a way of this biologically aging being reversed by removing these epigenetic changes yeah, but that all, are I, all i'm saying like by the time you're an adult and someone will be for example they go on to use this genetic aging as a as a as a tool to to assess whether you you were uh abused as a child abuse is a big umbrella whatever anything can are fall you, into that how how much trauma you actually yeah. did undergo but like where, where what if you just lived a, a stressful life and then and, well, yeah, and, that, that, and that's just being confused for uh yeah it would need to be thing. specific yeah I, i'm not gonna yeah. lie yeah it would yeah yeah but um as i as i mentioned children it seemed that had history of maltreatment they seem that it's uh has has a an effect they're more likely to develop depression and anxiety as they get older and it seems like they're more biologically older because of these epigenetic modifications so it's it's tempting to think that accelerated aging is exclusively damaging but they think that the reality is probably more complicated because there is two types of trauma threat and deprivation so experiences of threat so that that's the potential for violence for physical harm those experiences seem to be especially linked to the indicators of accelerated biological aging. Um, and according to our work, it also coincides with early puberty. But in the cases of deprivation, such as neglect, teens actually reach puberty later and their biological age is unaffected. But like, if you think about it evolutionary-wise, there is a reason for that because if there's more in a threatening environment, it makes you more have sense. To be ready. Have to, you have to be aged earlier whereas if they're in a a neglected environment it would make sense that they're that it would take slower because your body doesn't want you to be ready if you're not in the right environment yeah and they're saying that how does your body know the epigenetics could be the Mm -hmm. reason for this yeah so some of this um so some of the trauma-induced changes may be part of an evolutionary strategy that puts reproductive timing before well-being the accelerated aging can actually increase that reproductive fitness, but it may mean in the long term more adverse consequences for physical and mental health. This seems a rough deal for people looking to live and not just propagate and raises the question, if epigenetic changes can just appear, can we not just reverse them? So can we do it? The answer is, well, possibly. <laughs> so sorry, well, please. Yeah. Um, so you have to find the right point in the genome and then add or remove the tag so in a study last year we just covered how big the genome is (laughs) okay in a study last year uh this researcher pandy he used this epigenetic version called the crispr decas 9 to undo an epigenetic change induced by teenage binge drinking in rats his previous work connected that particular modification in the amygdala, which is the brain's fear center, to increased anxiety and alcohol use in adults. 
Rats that have been injected with alcohol in adolescents were significantly more anxious than teetotal fellow rodents, which just means like sober rodents. (laughs) But when Pandy reversed the alcohol-induced change, their anxiety dropped to normal levels. And he it worked the other way when he introduced the change introduced the changes to rat that did not drink in adults they became anxious in turn so he was able to epigenetically modify um or or reverse the t- the tags with the win the amygdala to stop the anxiety and he was able to also uh, induce it by adding the tags. Which, Can I have a comment? What? Are we still talking about attempts to develop a treatment for mental health or behavior control? Well, no, it's it's for like people who have anxiety, who have had childhood trauma, and yeah, they, but we they just, go we on just heard. to have mental health issues. Go on, but what? we just heard that you can induce anxiety if you switch the right. Uh, <laughs> well, hopefully. It would never be used for that. Who no one would want to want that. But of course, it will be used that way. <laughs> okay, I didn't think of it like that, but yeah, I suppose you're true. That's true. If you can induce fear in a war scenario, it's not fear, but it'd be like anxiety, induce anxiety. Yeah, anxi- if you can induce like overwhelming anxiety in the in the war scenario, you basically won the battle. And I know this is like so far fetched and so sci fi. That yeah, is like how that could ever happen. But you just told us that this guy, Pagani, induced anxieties in rats when he felt like doing so. Yeah. That's well, it. You very... just sold us a wolf wearing a sheepskin like. Well, hopefully they can come up with a method that's more specific just for reversal rather than addition of epigenetic modifications. Okay. Um, but yeah, as I said, it is super it's super broad like what causing depression in one person is probably very different to what's causing depression to another person and as well like these rats had to have tubes surgically installed in order for the CRISPR system to reach their amygdala so we you're going to need something that's much easier for people and like mm-hmm. a, a tag removing epigenetic drug and like that's not that unheard of because the US FDA actually already has improved some drugs that are um, epigenetic uh, tag removing for treating certain cancers. So it is okay. possible in in to reverse these changes. We just need to have the proper targets um, available. And, and the brain in itself is a tricky location to get, right? Because I assume yeah. you would have to target brain tissue. Yeah, yeah, you would you would have to because it's it's behavior um, and like yeah, getting through the blood brain barrier. That's another. Um, um uh, uh, another yeah problem to and overcome. with these rats w- was that a transient effect or was the the rat anxious free until the scientists decided to to change it around um i i think it, i don't know i actually am not sure how and then another another good question would be does the modification itself w- would that affect you from percepting um from experiencing that that feeling you know what i mean like would you i don't know how i can why do i have so much problems today with uh, expressing myself if uh, no it doesn't make sense 
I just explain it to myself in my head. It's yeah, fine. no, like basically, there's a ta- the, the 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 binge drinking, yeah, induced in the rats would have caused this epigenetic modification that causes the 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 um more anxiety and more likely to cause depression later in life. So you're trying to reverse it with this CRISPR decast system, um, yeah. But like as we said, as 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 we I you've already mentioned we should try to mend children's trauma before they get diagnosed as adults not w- not with mental health crispr w- with social support and therapy but epigenetics i i even though maybe not as a treatment it could be still a huge uh play a huge role as a biomarker to flag children at particular risk and maybe like if it's very difficult if the child isn't willing to talk you can you can maybe assess and try and maybe understand what what kind of um trauma they've undergone through these um biomarkers through the epigenetic measurements in the in the saliva in the blood and again i have something to say about this um, if, you, if you need an epigenetic test to, to uh, thing to understand if the child is being maltreated or not even if you're considering the fact like oh maybe i should epig- test this child just you know what i mean just that's that's a sign in itself i don't think you need to do like epigenetic test yeah especially yeah. if it if it's if it's happening in the school environment where these people teachers are are supposed to be trained in like i suppose picking up these kind of uh odd behaviors yeah and stuff like yeah, that yeah you know well i still think it's a useful there's never you can never have too many tests i think it's i think use- it's nice but if you have to use it it means you failed as a teacher <laughs> I I don't I don't agree with that. Okay. I think I think they there there is a time and a place that could they can always be used. Um, but yeah, if we maybe if we can embrace embra- epigenetic drugs in editing, um, we could we could have a new targets for drug targets for adults. Maybe could even have uh use if and and it's not like we'd have to specifically stay in that area if their drugs are being developed for cancers maybe there could be a role in helping treat these people who um who have this um anxiety from childhood trauma and maybe could be used to treat that um but yeah there is no shortage of tags we can assess to see what what how, how is this play a role in um yeah in in in, uh causing um anxiety depression and all that the only question is are we willing to lend our brains to it not mine (laughs) (laughs) not not mine yeah it 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 seems like a one of those in in uh in the realm of sci-fi i think it would be quite difficult but i think it's an interesting another perspective to look at mental health anxiety and especially in people who um who were have had severe childhood trauma maybe this drug maybe drugs maybe this could be this this area Mm -hmm. this niche area that we could maybe be it could be useful in um and and i i know it maybe that sounds crazy like well if it's like brain surgery or something but like who knows like maybe that that could be a uh, an option i don't know <laughs> maybe like like, mental oh, health, do you mean just someone f- being like suffering from depression or do you mean like schizophrenia multiple personality well, disorders schizophrenia isn't usually caused by 
that's just a, a genetic that's just a disorder anyone can get schizophrenia i think isn't okay. it i think it's more that people who who have childhood trauma and then they go on and they so have severe anything. addiction issues they can have severe issues with their um mood just their, their mood um depression very hard to be to just to, to have emotions like positive emotions um and i they, think this is very dangerous area you uh <laughs> you trying to walk into heavy military boots so you don't think it's it's a possibility i just know for a fact it's gonna be misused <laughs> to modify our behaviors At least, well if not even entire behavior like a mood modification hmm. would that be a performance enhancer if you could for two hours become more angry no but like this isn't this would be a one well i can imagine it'd be a like a one or two off thing it's not so like an implant that you just keep to press to improve your mood it's specifically for people who are like had severe trauma early on that they could be used to like help them overcome uh i understand these issues. but, I, but I, I don't know why don't you want why don't you want to like maybe acknowledge like, the fact maybe. that people will misuse it and like well, no, if you can well, switch something on and off no but it's not going to be a switch off. like yeah but that it's a one you'd have to go under i from what i gather you'd have right. to go under go either have a some kind of an attachment into your brain which right. i don't think many people would do or like some kind of one-off treatment like that's something you can't so you, if you every time you want to change the tag you'd have to do another surgery or another Procedure. But we're talking like 10, 15, 20 years into the future. Oh, like this is, I don't know. It, it, I, I think it's one of those that it's like very much, it's hard to know if this would ever happen, but I just thought it was an interesting thing to discuss. I um, think it is interesting because like, what is your freedom then? If you are not free to experience the, but I way, I'm yeah, way more focusing on this mood yeah, modification. Yeah, 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 yeah. But <laughs> it, it's, it's interesting that, um, how your body how it adapts in the when you're young in the environments how it can yeah. pass through how it, it can pass generations through um and it's just fascinating that maybe we are able to stop this happening and because we don't need it anymore um so uh and then yeah just helping to diagnose maybe if people are biologically aged to be older maybe we can come up with ways to to reverse that so um i just think it, it could be a it's like a, in the realm of possibility so um yeah it's it's epigenetic your your new hot stuff <laughs> epigenetics is gonna cure it's gonna stop global warming is that the is that the hell you're going to die on now <laughs> yeah <laughs> epigenetics for epigenetics, life yeah yeah okay. okay no thanks evan that's really interesting how if you can understand if you can ever even yeah a, a, a surface level understand of the system you can already start doing playing around with it and, and doing some modifications and, and you don't which just is pretty have to, exciting and you don't just have to target the the gene expression like well sorry you do have to target gene expression but you don't have to just target the dna at the d at the dna or uh, rna the level you can actually go at it from a different perspective um so there's multiple ways of targeting um these yeah. diseases so um yeah. It's just having more ammunition in your yeah in your arsenal basically yeah, yeah definitely 
so yeah that was uh good stuff that was waiting my for waiting to store. see how it's gonna get abused <laughs> yeah you can you can tell me i told you so um <laughs> when we're all zombies because of epigenetic modifications um we're gonna go off great <laughs> yeah <laughs> you like the unabomber <laughs> oh jeez okay i just i didn't want to go there but sure <laughs> okay on that note, I think um, <laughs> it's time to end the episode. Um, so yeah, t- well, today we um, we covered the three parent baby. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom gives a good overview of um, what, the updates in that, how it's progressing. Uh, I give you an update of how COVID no more. Uh, if you want to go over that extreme, and how it's not a global emergency anymore, and mm-hmm. then. Tom, give us an, a nice overview of the pan genome. What does it mean for you? Why is it important? And I give you uh, my uh, a story of the, the epigenetics and and could it be used for mental health treating childhood traumas? Let us know what or do you think. Would you ever? Would you think it could work? Is it just a realm of fantasy? You can always get in touch on uh, skeptically inclined on tw- on Instagram. It's skeptically i on Twitter and skeptically inclined at gmail.com so that's it evan you covered it all i covered it all so i hope you had a great i hope you enjoyed the episode uh, i think it was an interesting listen to have um and yeah we next month i think is going to be our our last month before the summer break um we managed like to it. do another season even though we didn't do as many episodes this year but i think we did no. well uh for a guy but, who's yeah. doing his phd so <laughs> Thanks, Evan. I'll do. I'll try my best. I'll try my best. Yeah. Um, so, okay. On that note, I hope you're gonna enjoy yourselves. Yeah. And um, we're. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about our point of science events for the the next in June. In June. Um, yeah. So, so that's uh, a guaranteed topic to talk about. Yeah, and I'd say most probably we'll just go and have a review of our episodes of season three and. Uh, if you have any comments about any of the episodes or want any clarifications or bloopers or whatever we've done, let us know again on the socials. So yeah. All right. Stay Thank skeptical, you. guys. Stay skeptical. Bye. Bye.